0: Hi Rod, how are you doing? I'm well, very well, only one
1: more trip and I'm done for the year, very exciting.
0: Yeah, I've got another couple of days and I'm wrapped up. Listen, I have a a confession to make. Um, I know we've been doing this for a couple of episodes now, this is episode three and and I really uh, enjoy it and I think we should keep it going, but I have to say I have been seeing other podcasters in the last week, Um, but you'll you'll always be special to me. I was on the um Fintech Insiders podcast this week up in London, which was kind of interesting
1: um I'm sure you probably don't get any uh, people listening to that, and this is the main event, so <laughs> yeah, of course fun. it is of course it is but it was interesting um-
0: you know, fintech today has been generally about kind of uh, finance financial services and consumer markets, and so it's cool to see. The small business um, arena factoring into that one, but um, obviously nowhere near as interesting as what we talk about. So don't don't be uh, don't feel threatened.
1: No, that's good. Actually, it's interesting how quick the fintech fintech stuff is is mainstreaming um, right now. We've just been working uh, with Kiwi Bank in New Zealand, they're doing a FinTech accelerator. So uh, we had a bunch of applications to come into a three-month program and we're gonna help a a bunch of these FinTech startups get going. So we've had uh, people um, working with a bunch of startups, um, helping them with a bit of strategy, going through uh, the judging process. So yeah, it's really starting to take off. And exciting thing is we've seen quite a lot that, that are leveraging the massive base we have and the relationship we have with banks globally. So they're really exciting. It is. Um, I don't
0: know if you've caught up with it yet, but um, I have been, binge watched um, the kind of um, TV show uh, uh, that's all the rage called Westworld. I don't know
1: if you've seen that. No, no. Everyone tells me I should. I've sort of been watching um, my YouTube shows lately. I've had time, but um, I think got another another week of work, and that'll be my first one I get into. So Westworld. Don't want
0: to spoil it. Um, is so sci-fi, features, the kind of concepts of AI um, and some of the ethical dilemmas around um, how we will deal with intelligent beings that are artificial in the future. But it's still like really high production quality. It's J.J. Um, Abrams is the executive producer, Jonathan Nolan. So it's got a really good pedigree of like big, either big TV success in their history. Obviously, J.J. Abrams was lost a very long time ago. No, he wasn't personally lost, but he did lost. And has now done, obviously, Star Wars and Star Trek. And so it's got that kind of big budget... Uh, feel to it and it is on the topic of the day which is AI and everything you read is about AI um, and really captures the imagination. Anthony Hopkins, Ed Harris, a whole really good cast and what, 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 so it's 10 episodes, it's just finished so you'll be able to get it streamed somewhere but the incredible thing about the kind of world of TV and TV is this kind of community um, medium now is th- there's something like twenty five podcasts dedicated to it, like people just dissecting mm. it every week. Another podcast times twenty five on Westworld. It's incredible that you, you like entertainment is now this thing you watch, um, wherever you are, whenever you want, on whatever device you want, and then you can have like a you can have like ground sourced um, uh, sorry crowd sourced um,
1: director's commentary. So I'd recommend it. It's really cool really cool. fantastic uh, I I went back and I watched uh transcendence uh, the Johnny Depp film because um, we've been talking about AI and all that I think it's one of those films that explores you know if it goes in uh, the wrong direction and it was interesting going back and seeing all of that just that just that theory of what happens if you know you do have a brain that's inside uh, the machine so that, that's worth going and having a watch as well yeah I saw that I saw that a few uh, a few months ago it's pretty cool um mm.
0: speaking of TV, so an in, interesting thing it just occurred to me the other day. So we had uh, so we had our kitchen remodeled five years ago, six years ago I think it was. And I had this brainwave. Instead of getting a TV um to mount on the wall in the kitchen for like news and stuff, I got an iMac. And so I, I felt particularly proud and of that idea and that it would be a TV, and you can plug in a little USB TV tuner so that you could watch TV on it in a window or full screen and record and rewind and all the kind of things you do on TVs. But it it was also a PC, obviously, so you could do web browsing and Skype calls and things. And that was five or six years ago, and it um, progressively kind of started developing issues with the screen kind of switching on and off intermittently and and getting slower and slower and slower. And it finally died um, on us uh and i didn't buy another iMac i bought a tv i just bought a, a pretty spog standard samsung hd tv had a whole lot of apps on it so it, like um netflix and all the kind of uh, tv streaming stuff is is already in there it integrates with spotify all the kind of things you'd want to do on on, on a on a tv obviously it doesn't have a web browser and it probably does have a web browser but it's probably not very good um and thought nothing of getting rid of the, the computer from the kitchen and replacing it with just a TV. And then I think about a day later, my wife sent me a text saying, oh, there's been another kind of um, article in the news about like um, another virus attack and should we get our equipment up to date? And I actually thought, do you know, apart from me, because I'm a huge nerd and I have a, I have a Mac in my kind of home, home study, the, the Mac I have in my home study is the last full fat PC in our household. So we don't have one mm. in the kitchen. Um, my, my daughter is almost 100% on an iPad. Uh, I spend most of my time, my wife spend most of our time on our phones as a primary communications medium. And it's just like um, like five years later, um, if you did an inventory on houses, I just wonder how how prevalent the, the kind of incidence of full PCs are. I mean, you have have them for work and things, but it's, so we've we've just almost pretty much eradicated them. And so I said to my wife, well, we don't have any PCs that would need antivirus and uh, and it just—it was a weird realization that um, we've actually changed the way we use technology quite considerably. I mean, are you guys still um, using Macs on a day-to-day basis, or are you are you transitioning more to tablet and stuff?
1: Yeah, i um, I'm actually. I've just changed to the new a MacBook with the um, touch bar and touch ID, which I absolutely like, but um, um, I'm just building a new office at home at the moment. I've got three or four months, so I've sort of been watching what I've been doing. So what I've been using up to now was the 12-inch MacBook, and then I brought a 5K, iMac and with everything being in the cloud, you can move between two computers quite nicely. What I was doing before that, I had um, the one laptop and I plug it into my 27 inch monitor. But I did notice today that uh, they've just announced at the Apple show, they talked about um, Apple getting out of the cinema. Uh, display business and they had a 27 inch 5k lg screen and i just saw today they're now doing a 32 inch screen so but the problem is there's they there looks like they're not going to do the mac pro the little uh trash can that you've got so i don't know what you plug that into because i don't really want to plug my laptop into all of those things as well so Everything's changing, and, you know, I think we've spoken about this before, there isn't a clean sort of product line or a clean way to go, and I hope that um, does resolve itself over the next few months because I'm not actually sure what I'm going to do in my home home office right now.
0: Yeah, it So is. I've got my Mac Pro just because I'm a nerd and like to think I need a PC, but I hardly use it um, for what it's designed for. Um, And actually, I'm increasingly using my iPad Pro so if i'm like kind of flying around the country rather than taking my my full mac with me i'll 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 live on my my ipad pro it's just, it was just amazing that like so 10 15 years ago our household would have been full of pcs and uh, no smartphones yeah. no tablets no smart TVs and now it's gone completely the polar opposite and there there's like one last stand holdout full pc device in our house and everything's either a smart TV smartphone or tablet and it was like, oh, we don't have to worry about viruses or anything. It's
1: weird. It's uh, all that old. Yeah, until IT. your TV starts getting viruses. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of, the, one of the things, I speaking about TVs, though, because I have to pick some new TVs. So I've always sort of had Samsung TVs because you know, I sort of knew how they worked. And um, and I just assumed I was going to get those. So I popped down to the local store to sort of see what the uh, – I don't like buying the, the brand new one. I like to buy the one that's six months old because it's usually about half the price and the same size. But um, I tried uh, the Sony TVs, and what was interesting about them is they've obviously done a deal uh, with Google, so a whole lot of Google services and sort of first-class Google apps are on the Sony TVs, and they use uh, Google now for search. So I'm actually flipping um, from Samsung to Sony, which is really interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. We, we uh, It was a Samsung I bought, and... The the apps are fine. So all the streaming apps are good enough. You can't really do it for much else. Although I did discover it has Spotify. um, And you can activate it. You can activate it from your Spotify app on your phone, which is pretty cool. Um, unfortunately yeah. the speakers on a, on a TV aren't really up for playing music. But it's just interesting that the beginning, the nodes are beginning to, to connect together, and it probably needs another year or two for that then to mature into a, a consistent platform experience across each, whether it's Sony or Samsung or whatever. Um,
1: yeah, and so my favorite thing happened this week, and that was um, uh, that Spotify, uh, now from Spotify you can point your um, – uh, your playlist and Spotify directly to your Sonos speakers. Um, before there was a, you know, you could connect your Sonos to Spotify, but you had to go and find everything and add them to the queue, and they were around the wrong way, around sort of the wrong way. Now just watch on your phone, you can just drive that straight to any of your of your Sonos speakers, and that that is one of those just key experiments that really just changes everything. So I always love Sonos, but now it's so easy. Spotify and Sonos working together is incredibly cool. So if you haven't got that working, you should definitely do it and for anyone that sort of doesn't have a home speaker system yet I've just been evangelizing to everyone by Sonos it's just so good yeah well do you know what I did last night I
0: cancelled my Apple Music family account and reactivated my uh, uh, Spotify account for that reason Uh, and and partly because also I'm I'm not loving the the iOS Apple Music client it's just really hard to find things and the kind of in iOS 10 they just kind of screwed it up I think but that was the final clincher yeah. because we have Sonos speakers, um, and um, and so yeah, I literally did that last night, and it's amazing. You can just you can just pick whatever whatever part of the house you want to stream it to, and it'll, it'll do it it's, uh, straight from the uh, Spotify app, which is a game changer. The the only thing that makes you slightly disappointed is that I suspect we're well, not disappointed, but um, uh-huh. uh, I suspect that Sonos will, are doing a deal with Amazon where they'll embed the um, Alexa echo client in the speaker because you're going to have like this cluster of speakers you're going to have google now uh, sorry uh, google home or alexa and your spotify speaker and actually it needs to be one speaker you know it all needs to be on a single device and i think i read that spotify um uh uh, sonos sorry we're we're talking to um, amazon and so i wouldn't be surprised if in 2017 we see a bunch of um Sonos speakers that are also um, Amazon Alexa devices. Interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly why I haven't jumped into those things yet. I've tried them, and they're and they're interesting, but I don't want to play the music on that speaker because I've already got Sonos all around the house. So, yeah, yeah. So once they do that, they will be pretty interesting. Hey, so uh, I've seen you in the paper this week. What have you been doing? You were you were writing strongly worded letters to the Times. Yeah, angry from Milton Keynes. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah, so.
0: A uh, gentleman by the name of Mark Carney, who's the governor of the Bank of England. And the Bank of England uh, is actually... Um, um, it's not like a, a regular commercial um, bank in, in the sense that they're actually the they the kind of set rates of interest and they're actually more of a political um, function rather than um, uh, like a RBS or Barclays or, or something like that. And so Mark Carney actually has a really important job and and kind of guiding and and um forecasting where the economy is going and and kind of the uh, setting uh, interest rates and things like that. Um and so he gave a speech last week. Um I think it was up in Liverpool. And another thing it was his um quotation but he was citing another quotation that he agreed with which was about the kind of march of technology. And and I'll paraphrase it to keep it, keep it short but in essence he, he was saying that we're about to enter this whole wave of digital transformation and automation in the next 10, 15 years, which everybody kind of agrees with. Um, but he said that actually, if you look at the way industrial revolutions play out, generally the the new revolution destroys jobs before it creates new ones. You know, so that transition is not quite a smooth handoff. Um, it's not just incremental, and, and the implication was that, that kind of the, this march of technology will kind of destroy communities, industries, jobs, um, livelihoods, long before new alternative um, kind of uh, uh, employment emerges, which I think if you play that back over the previous industrial revolutions we've seen, I think presumably I think we're in like the fourth industrial revolution, although that might be marketing bullshit, but I think it is um, – that um, I think it really misses the point. So clearly, there's automation. Take something, automate it, and and you don't need a human to do it anymore. Clearly, there's a kind of displacement effect there. But um, one one of my old friends um, who uh, you cited at your uh, Zircon talk back in Brisbane earlier this year is a guy called Doc Searles. And I've known Doc for about, must be 15 years. And Doc, um, I got to to know Doc through a book he co-authored, um, back in 1989, called the Cloutin Manifesto. He he was a co-author, Christopher Locke, Doc Saros, Rick Levine, and David Weinberger. And Doc is just really smart, um, uh, US-based uh, marketing. He's been in sell- he's been in tech marketing his entire career. Just understands technology and marketing, and, and is kind of this this really kind of um, uh, highly highly renowned figure over there. And, and he tweeted not not in relation to Mark Carney, but he he tweeted in about the same time as that observing that all of the stories about automation displacing jobs and robots taking our jobs seems to... None of them seem to refer to the fact that we have an amazing capacity for ingenuity as humans. And nobody's talking about, well, actually, we're just going to sit by and watch uh, robots come and automation come and destroy jobs. We're going to kind of create this new industry. That's how we have to think forwards, not not, not defensively. And so I um, I clearly uh, didn't agree with Mark Carney's perspective and... um, I think there's a couple of articles online, and um, we wrote a blog about it, and and it's been interesting just seeing that how that's played out.
1: Yeah, and like you know what we're seeing with the numbers, the firms that are moving, and um, you know, in the space that we're in, the accounting firms that are embracing automation are actually making more money they're getting more time back they're the ones that are creating jobs creating their they're getting new clients into their business and they're helping their clients create jobs as well so yeah i I think we've seen the evidence and that's pretty clear and it's interesting what what we think we need to do is to make sure that we're creating playbooks so there is new opportunities to fill the void where we can get rid of some of the some of the work that computers do better
0: yeah and i clearly the there, there's a lot of work to do, and we we have to build some of that stuff. But whether it's accounting, whether or well, whatever industry it is, I think there's a there's a coming realization that that people are getting that, that I want to be the last analogue X in a digital industry. I want to be the last analogue accountant in a digital accounting universe. I don't. Um, And and that's not going to happen tomorrow. But there's there's a progression that's happening. And I think usually what happens, and this this is a great quote from, I think it was Bill Gates, is that we hugely overestimate the extent of change in the immediate term. And so we think everything's going to change in the next two years, but we underestimate change in the longer term. So actually we think it's all going to change tomorrow and it doesn't. Usually, but actually, um, it changes more profoundly in ten years than we realise. And so, it's not all going to disappear tomorrow. But I think come twenty twenty seven, twenty six, twenty seven. My goodness, can't believe that's uh, that's ten years away. Um, it will it will be different. Um, but yeah, so I, I took I took a bit of an issue with what Mark Carney had saying, and um, uh, he didn't reply. But you never
1: know; what he might do. <laughs> that's fun, and um, yeah, I, I I spoke to Doc Sills. Oh, it must be sort of six or eight weeks ago now, and it was just so exciting, um, you know, just to uh, compare notes, and I, you know, felt that we were immediately uh kindred spirits and i know that you caught up with them recently um, can you can you give us an explanation of what that vendor relationship management concept is it's really interesting i don't think I've fully good, i fully don't think i fully good, good, got my head around it so if you can explain that to me i'd really appreciate it i'll try i'll
0: try um, probably maybe in a future episode we can get doc on um, and you can, can you yeah. can talk about it but uh, so so the clucher manifesto really quickly uh, written in 1989 it was based upon this kind of it's a webpage started up being a webpage of 95 theses and it was actually uh, many of the themes in the Cloutier Manifesto book um, foretold of this world of social connectedness that we're all in now, and consumer power, and 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 disaggregation of old market models and things like that, and the power of voice and the power of markets that connect together, uh, as opposed to the old world of marketing and the old world of, of of PR and the way things used to be before the internet came along. And I, and I read it in 2000, and it completely made me take a right turn in, in, in technology um, and had a huge impact on on the way I kind of saw how technology pans out. Doc then wrote a book called The Intention Economy um, and then got into a project at um, the uh, Berkman um, faculty at Harvard, where he became a fellow and and, and was there for a couple of years and created this project called VRM, which stands for Vendor Relationship Management, which is kind of like the yin to the yang of CRM. So companies and organizations spend millions of dollars on Computer systems and software to manage customer relationships. So, from a service perspective, but also from optimizing, like how much can we get our customers to spend with us, and, and marketing, uh, and managing those relationships. And and uh, and so businesses and organisations are incredibly well equipped to manage their their audience or their customer, or their markets through software such as CRM. But we as consumers have nothing. Um, and 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 so consider our 30 40 years ago As an individual citizen, you might have 10, 15, 20 relationships with people you spend money with, the electricity company, the telephone company, um, your doctor, dentist, car company, people that you are cutting checks to to pay for things. And you could manage it all in a little black notebook you kept in your pocket and life was simple. And they didn't have tools to manage you and there was only 10 or 15 of them and and life was simple. Today, and and, and kind of dock estimates, that today we could potentially have hundreds of these vendors that we deal with you know like Amazon, uh, Apple, all the kind of tech stuff we buy, all the things we subscribe to um, if you're on a pay, you're a paywall uh, subscribe to the, to the Times or The Guardian or the New York Times you, you, you begin to add up. All of those individual subscription relationships or recurring uh, vendor relationships you have, it's hundreds now, and it's unmanageable. And when you leave one, um, what are they doing with your data? You can't, like, you can't, you you you, you 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 exist in hundreds of CRM systems as an entity. So Rod Drury, Gary Turner, we are contact records, behavior records, and potentially hundreds of CRM systems, yet we maybe have, um, you might be using some kind of financial management software for your personal stuff, but really it's your online bank account. Who's taking money out of my account this month? And you know what I mean. And so, so the whole concept is: should there be this this essence of giving the consumer um, some power back and having a VRM experience? And so, Doc has been working on that for the last ten years, and it's a fascinating area. And there's some we're beginning to see some innovation coming through. And actually, I caught up with him. He was in our London office last week. He was over in town because he's actually doing a lot of work on this in London. and He's even saying that. Um, uh, he's been working on this in the US for the last 10, 12 years, but he thinks the centre of gravity for that whole kind of... um, It's not quite a fight back. That makes it sound adversarial, but it's it's, it's equipping consumers with the tools to manage the vendors. He thinks the centre of gravity for that is coming back to the UK. It's just a fascinating area, and and maybe if we can can find the time to to grab them, Uh, it'd be great to get them on a future episode and just explore... Um, some of the stuff that he's seen, he's meeting some really cool people doing really, really amazing things. And and it could be a really uh, interesting area in the next few years to to, to pop, I think.
1: Yeah. And as we sort of move move away from, you know, doing the back office stuff, thinking about some of the front office services and how we sort of link CRM closer to the work that we're doing, that's really interesting because, you know, we have that volume of data where where there may be interesting ways or some standards that we can look at to, to give um, our customers at least more visibility of of where their data is, and give them a bit more control. So, certainly something we're following closely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll um, I'll,
0: I'll try and catch up with Doc the next time he's over, and um, maybe convince him to, to come on a future episode. J- completely changing gear. Like one of the final things I wanted to talk about was I've just started um, swimming. So, uh, long story short, I broke my foot. Uh, I slept on a step in July, broke my foot and was in kind of plaster cast for months. Couldn't walk, lots and lots of things. And I'm in this kind of physio rehab thing and I've started swimming. Uh, as much as I can lately and so the idea of like thrashing up and down a swimming pool doing freestyle is pretty good for the for the ankle and the foot to recover and I'm of course using my Apple Watch to track that and it's actually pretty cool I remember previous times when I'd be like swimming and you want to record the workout and you're trying to estimate how, how, how far had you swum and how how much how much effort did you put into it? And it was like, did you swim really fast? Did you swim kind of moderately fast? There was a paddle, and it would try and work out how many calories you'd burned and everything else. But the Apple Watch does all of that stuff for you because it's monitoring your heart rate and it knows how fast you're going, and it can work out when you when you're when, when when you're doing a length. And I thought it's just such a beautiful experience where I'm using the watch. Um, through day-to-day. I'm not using it intensively day-to-day. I've kind of regulated the way that I use it. I'm not in it like every five minutes. But it'll pop up uh, with the specific things I want to be notified about. Um, But more around health and fitness as I'm kind of starting to get back into rehab and get back to my previous athletic self, obviously. But I just thought that previously if you wanted to go and track your swimming, you'd have to buy some kind of uh, Garmin or other dedicated kind of swimming watch and you'd have to change that and managed battery life and everything else. And that coincided, I was really impressed with it, and that then coincided with the news that Pebble had just been acquired by Fitbit, which was, I was disappointed on it because I'd signed up and I'd i been in their latest uh, crowdfunder to get the new Pebble 2 watch just, just to see what it was like. And it was about to be delivered in December. And I was kind of like uh, looking forward to working out whether I was going to stick with the Apple Watch or the Pebble Watch, but Pebble have decided that for me and that they've cancelled that project. And um, probably have already refunded me. Maybe I need some vendor re, uh, relationship management stuff to track that. Um, but the, So, Fitbit of what Pebble for 40 million, which is kind of disappointing. And, and they'll obviously acquire some IP and soak up Pebble into that. I also did a crowdfunder for another piece of hardware called a PopSlate. So, it's an iPhone case that's a battery, but the back of it is one of these Amazon Kindle e ink things. And so yep. uh, you can read books, uh, you can look at the news. So it's like double-sided, uh, like a two-screen, turns your iPhone into this kind of two-screen device. And I thought, that's a really cool thing. So I ordered that in, like, God, it must be June or July. And it was supposed to be delivered by October, November. And every email from the guys at Popslate, who are working really hard, is like, oh, another hardware manufacturing glitch, or we failed this radio regulation test, or whatever, whatever. It's now going to be, like, maybe March or April. Uh, they're not going to refund you your money, and and maybe they'll get something out. But it's been like this really long and painful journey. And if, and, and both the fact that, that Pebble have effectively kind of died, PopSlate are really struggling. Hardware is a really hard thing to do in this day and age if you're small and don't have a lot of money. But if you're Apple and you have an install base of however many million iPhones, Then uh, you can see Apple Watch just becomes the the kind of centre of gravity of smartwatches because there are just such there's such an installed base. Apple have all the resources to spend on ironing out all those glitches that the little crowdfunder guys or even Fitbit can't. If you look at all of the gadgets, so you look at like so Fitbit themselves are struggling. Pebble ran out of cash. Uh, these these guys I'm trying to buy this case for from are really struggling. But then GoPro's results are kind of patchy. You know they're 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 not great in the last last while. What's happened to Nest, uh, Nintendo are are kind of like, like so where are they going in terms of mobile gaming and that, that that that's something that they classically owned and really struggling. And everything's being sucked into this single device experience. And, and there's a guy called Farhad, Manju who uh, Farhad Manju who wrote. Um, an article last week in the New York Times saying this is basically the gadget apocalypse now. Gadgets—you used to have like ten gadgets for discrete things. Now basically it's a smartphone, and and if you're in a gadget category, you're probably screwed. And it's um, it's all going—it's it's the end of the gadget. You just have one device that does everything, and, and the camera in the iPhone Seven is just incredible, and, and it's all those categories just being sucked into one, rolled up into one one area, and and and. and and i kind of sad about that because where's the innovation going to come from but i don't know so are you, you did you make the move to the the, the updated apple watch or are you,
1: are you still resisting yeah no I, la- I lasted 4 days with my first watch and i was so excited to get it but then then my wife when she saw me sort of looking at my wrist uh, every 3 or 4 seconds she got really pissed off so so it was so I had to get rid of it. But I, but I do swim a lot. I swim every day I'm home. I was swimming this morning, and I do I do change from my sort of normal watch to uh, my Garmin watch. So I'm kind of torn because I'd love a really good swimming watch that you can see what's going on, but I kind of like my, my standard watches. Super exciting, though. I do have, um, you know, fine, I think just like you, uh, AirPods finally um, are available. So maybe even by the time this comes out, we should have them. They're due early next week. And it was interesting. I think, um, I think I'll think i sit out this generation of watch because there was speculation they would actually have the mobile phone connection in there. And if you could get to a point with um, AirPods and the watch becomes the phone, then that becomes really interesting. But I think uh, it's interesting how the iPhone 7S, um, uh, sorry, the iPhone 7, uh, wasn't that different, but yet it's the best iPhone I've ever had. And it's things like uh, the volume, um, you know, that you can actually hear it loudly without putting speakers on, you know, without having to put headsets on, uh, is, is just really good, and it's so fast. So definitely the best iPhone I've ever had, and the, the, the camera is absolutely stunning. It's interesting because people have been really anti the new MacBook with its its lack of ports and the iPhone 7. And I'm always finding I've got the wrong kind of um, uh, uh, the wrong headphones with me. And if they had uh, had the iPod, the AirPods out, then everything everything would have been great. So what I'm hoping is once the AirPods arrive next week, everything's just going to feel really good. Um, and then imagine that. Imagine if your sort of watch becomes your phone. That's going to be very exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, so I, I ordered mine um, the minute I saw they were on sale because I was kind of disappointed because they've taken so long to come out. But now, and I, I'm I'm actually grab a pair. and think they're being delivered soon. But I think they're now on six six weeks back order in the UK, so they sold out pretty quickly. And I'm here, so yeah. I, I think I mean. So it's, let's let's get a better perspective. They are it's a pair of headphones, <laughs> and, and wireless headphones are not a new concept. Um, but uh, I think. Uh, although you see... Often you see these, what look like, uh, at a surface level, superficial uh, changes. Um, often, the by the time you become habituated to using them, uh, actually it f- profoundly changes your behaviour. Um, just by disconnecting a cable doesn't mean that you don't have to spend 30 seconds detangling it every time you want to put your headphones on. It just means that you might... Um, you, you might use your headphones more often and that all of a sudden means you then start doing other things more often. And so um, I, I think the consequences of of moving to um, wireless um, headphones could be interesting to play out. And most of the reviews I've seen of them, people are, r- are raving about them and saying that they're w- like one of the best products Apple has ever built, um, which will be interesting to see. So I can't wait to see what they're like and uh, maybe we can do a report. The
1: thing that I'm really looking forward to them is that I my understanding is they bind to multiple devices at the same time. So I'm, you know, often doing conference calls on on my Mac or I'm on on my laptop or I'm talking on the phone and I'm listening to podcasts, I'm sort of listening to things quietly. So it's that kind of seamless, you know, having one set of headphones, which is seamlessly connected, is super exciting. Hey, we're probably just coming up to time. One thing I just really wanted to finish off on was um, the... Amazon reInvent conference and you know I know we, we all like watching uh, the big keynotes and there's been some interesting keynotes um, throughout the year you know we saw the Apple keynotes which are which are the old standard you know I always love watching the Elon Musk ones we saw the Google keynote; the last two have been really interesting talking about machine learning and and those types of things the the uh, the most entertaining keynote probably this year has been the Microsoft one when they showed that new um, you know the new big screen which is touch and has that cool wheel, but I was absolutely blown away, completely blown away by sort of two days of um, Amazon keynotes. The breadth of stuff that those guys are doing was just absolutely mind blowing. You know, I couldn't even you know it's hard to imagine how they could have shipped so much software in the last year and how it completely changes if you're an application provider that you just have almost infinite infrastructure. And you know, we've always said everyone has to re-platform, but when you see the way that they're thinking about computing and all these resources that you can glue together, some of the big data stuff and serverless computing, I just think we're heading into this golden age of business software. And um, for me, if I look at all the keynotes this year, you know, I just think it just stood out, hand, you know, absolutely head and shoulders above everyone else just by the sheer volume of work that they're doing. And 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 one thing I heard afterwards from some venture capitalists, which blew me away, and this really gave me a sense of scale, was the, the VCs were concerned that normally in the technology industry, you know, there's, there, there's a few big players and they will invest in companies that eventually get acquired Amazon is doing so much of this themselves and becoming such a such a powerhouse in uh, computing that they were concerned that the sort of venture capital industry itself would be disrupted because there wouldn't be enough deals because they weren't doing many acquisitions. They were buying companies very, very early and really buying talent and then just letting them go and build stuff on top of their platform, which is a perspective I just hadn't heard before. But again, just reinforce the massive scale that Amazon's operating on
0: i i think yeah, yeah, it was incredible and it's clearly they've, they've fired some pretty big shots um in the last couple of weeks that will give Google and apple um and Microsoft a lot to a lot to think about um uh, and how they're gonna catch up with that stuff uh, and I think that the other dynamic that that could play out from that is that what they're doing is they're they're fertilizing. A whole new generation of startups as well, because they're they're kind of eliminating a lot of that heavy grind, in terms of building apps and building building new products, because you you'll inherit a lot of that stuff in the stack on on AWS, and and so VC's probably shouldn't feel too bad about the fact that um, Amazon aren't doing that that kind of traditional roll up, but they're actually seeding. They, there could be an explosion in a new highly capable. Uh, um, apps and services off the back of this because people are just going to, Amazon have just cut out the first year or two of building your stack because you'll just do it on AWS and actually bring to market a really sophisticated product
1: um, much more
0: readily. So the VC shouldn't be too too disappointed, I don't think.
1: Uh, so that, Gary, I think we're probably done for this year. And thanks for everything that you've done this year. We've had a had a you know huge 12 months. It's been a hard 12 months for us, but you know when you look back at all the things that we've achieved, it's just absolutely crazy. So make sure you make sure you have a have a good break, and hopefully people are listening to the list just as they they take that sort of week or two off uh, for Christmas. Thanks everyone for your support. Yeah, uh, you have a good break as well, Rod,
0: and I'll speak to you in 2017.
1: Thank you.